growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Sometimes the idea of forgiving, forgiving somebody else, whether we're talking about forgiving ourselves, whatever it is we're talking about, it can feel like mission impossible in our lives. Forgiveness. Does it ever feel like mission impossible? There are people that live their lives for years in a state of sin or in a state of regret for their sin, not believing that they can be forgiven. I've known people that have said, God couldn't forgive me. You don't know. I've gone too far or God couldn't forgive me or people live their lives believing that they can't be forgiven. Listen to me. It's not true. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series entitled Forgiveness, Mission Impossible. Over the next several weeks, we're going to tackle some of the various aspects of forgiveness, like forgiving others, forgiving yourself, to name a couple. Well, today we're diving back into an aspect of forgiveness that, as Pastor Clay said last week, ties into all the other aspects of forgiveness. That is receiving God's forgiveness. No one's sin is bigger than God's grace. Last week and again this week, Pastor Clay is taking us through Psalm. Psalm 51, David's famous prayer of repentance that came about as a result of being confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. David was a man who had a close personal walk with God, but he allowed temptation to lead him far from where he once had been. That place where he finally owns his sin, that is an absolute requirement in my life and your life. If, if we want God's forgiveness in our life, we have to make this thing personal. Receiving God's forgiveness and discovering how to get back to where we were with God is what today's message is all about. So thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Good morning, Dr. Stevens. As you know, last week you began the assignment of helping people understand the importance and the process of receiving God's forgiveness by taking a look at Psalm 51, David's prayer of repentance. You covered three important aspects of receiving God's forgiveness from that psalm, but to no one's surprise, you didn't finish it last week. Your assignment, should you choose to accept, is to finish this look at Psalm 51 and to help everyone understand two more important principles involving receiving God's forgiveness. As always, should you fail to accept this assignment or fail to teach the truth of God's Word, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do when you get to headquarters. This message will not self-destruct in five seconds, but hopefully you will finish it. Good luck, Clay. Let's be honest. Sometimes... Forgiveness can feel like mission impossible, right? It can. Sometimes the idea of forgiving, and as we'll look in this series, whether we're talking about forgiving somebody else, whether we're talking about forgiving ourselves, whether we're talk, whatever it is we're talking about, that, that at times in our lives, it can feel like mission impossible in our lives. And particularly as in the subject matter that we're talking about today, receiving God's forgiveness, the idea of receiving God's forgiveness. As we were praying this morning, the setup team and everything. As I said, there, there are people that, that live their lives for years in, in a state of sin or in a state of regret for their sin, not believing that they can be forgiven. As I said last week, I've, I've known people that, that have said, God couldn't forgive me, you don't, you, you don't know, God, uh, I've gone too far, or, or God couldn't forgive me, or whatever the case may be, and spend their lives 
in that state, never knowing that they can be set free, as I said last week, from both the, the, the penalty of sin, the consequences that, that God has declared upon sin, but also set free from the very power that sin has over our lives. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever, y'all ever sense the power of sin over your life, the struggle, the, the pull, uh, the, the yield to, to that, all that kind of stuff? Do you understand what I'm, what I'm talking about here? And so people live their lives believing that they can't be forgiven. Listen to me, it's not true. I said it last week, I'll say it again this week. It's not true. And I said this last week and I'll say it again this week. No one's sin is bigger than God's grace. No one's sin is bigger than God's grace. And every person needs to hear that. And and it might be particularly that that's speaking to you this morning or a person who will watch this message that needs to hear this truth that no one's sin, no matter how big or how far you think you've gone or whatever, no one's sin is bigger than God's grace. So we started last week and we are in Psalm 51, which is uh, David's famous uh, sin uh, or or prayer of repentance over the sin that he committed with with Bathsheba. And we looked at that some uh, last week uh, and, and where that took him and all that kind of stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. But Psalm 51 is, da- is the, the account, the record of David turning back to God after he's confronted with a sin. And in Second uh, Samuel 12, I think it is there, where he's confronted with a sin and he's broken over a sin and he comes to this place of prayer. That's what Psalm 51, the whole thing basically is about. And so I said to you last week, I think I said that there are five requirements to receiving God's forgiveness. It really, as I thought about it, that's not quite accurate. Really, there are three requirements, which we looked at last week, and I'll go over just for just a second. There are really three requirements and two results is what we're going to look at today from Psalm 51. And we started last week, and I'm going to give you the, the requirement and then read the passage of Scripture that it's connected to uh, in, uh, to follow behind it, okay? Y'all all right? Pray 18, y'all got your cards? Y'all praying? Praying 18 minutes a week for Cross Culture Church? Okay. I'm getting a real resounding response there. <laughs> Folks, listen, we need you to pray. We need you to pray. If you, if you want to see God move in a powerful way, we need you to pray. Psalm 51, start it with this. I, oh, thanks, Tyler, for bringing that up. Start it with this idea uh, last week. Responsibility for your sin. If you, if, if, this is a requirement for receiving God's forgiveness. If, if, you're, if you're ready, if you want to experience that, if somebody you know is like, oh, I, I, I know I've messed up, you want to receive God's forgiveness, one of the requirements is you have to take responsibility for your sin. It must be personal. Let me read it. Verses 1 through 3. Uh, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Notice all the personal pronouns in there as David is taking ownership of this sin. No, no more excuses, no more trying to hide it. We talked about that some last week and the, the, the lengths and, that he went to to try and hide this thing and the depth of how it kept, just kept taking him deeper and deeper into sin. To come to that place where he finally owns his sin. That is an absolute requirement in my life, in your life. If if we want God's forgiveness in our life, we have to make this thing uh, personal. And I think, as I said it last week, and I'll, I'll repeat this again this week as well. Your sin is never behind you until your sin is in front of you. In other words, until you come to the place of owning it and saying, you know what? I need to stop making excuses or stop saying, well, well, I just didn't know or I didn't realize that or, or, or that wasn't really my fault or, or that's just the way it worked out. No, no. At some point, I have to say, man, I, I did this thing. 
I, I did this thing. I need to own this sin in my life. That's a requirement. Receiving God's forgiveness. Second requirement that we talked about last week was this. We have to recognize God's right to judge your sin. The, the very idea that God has the right to judge your sin. Let's look at it in verse 4 and 6 and let's see how David recognizes this. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Uh, I talked about this in detail last week, and what David was saying and what he wasn't saying. He wasn't saying that his mom sinned. You can go back and hear that he wasn't saying that he hadn't sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and against Bathsheba. But he was. But when he looked at the holiness, the perfection, the glory of God, and, and, and knowing how he had offended God with his actions, he, he, there was this sense of this heavy burden and this realization that, God, you have every right because of your holiness, because of your perfection, because of who you are. It's what he says right in there. He says, you have every right to judge me for my sin. You have to come to that place in your life where, where, you're, where you recognize that God has the right to judge your sin. And listen, I know this, I think I mentioned this last week, but we are living in a culture increasingly where it is very difficult for people to own their sin because we're living in a culture more and more where, where, where nobody is responsible, it seems, for their actions. Or at least, isn't it funny that we live in a culture that does not believe that God has the right to judge their actions, whether they're right or wrong, that God doesn't have the right. Isn't it funny? We live in a culture that, that thinks that God doesn't have the right to judge them, but they have the right to judge God. Have you noticed that? Have you, have you heard any of that this week with that tragedy in Florida? With people saying, where, where was God? Now, no, they weren't looking for God before this happened, by the way. Where was God when this went on, when this happened? Mocking Christians who said that they were praying and praying for the families and praying for that. Mocking them, prayer, praying to what? Praying to God. Who, who, who do you, who, how can you believe in a God that would allow something like this? Where was God when something like this went on? Can I tell you where God was when that went on this past week in that school in Florida? He was sitting on his throne weeping for a culture that has turned its back on the living God. Weeping for a culture that has told its children that, that God does not exist, that there is no meaning to life, that there are no eternal consequences for their actions. And God weeps for a culture that has turned its back. He is actually the only one that has the right to judge our sin because he's the only one responsible enough to do it. He's the only one in perfection and holiness who can say, hey, this is right. Go this way. Hey, this is not what is best for your life. Don't do this. Don't go in this direction. You and I, in our lives, have to recognize that God has the right to do that just as David did. The third requirement that we looked at last week was this. You have to realize that only God can cleanse your sin. He has the right to judge your sin, but he's also the only one who can cleanse your sin. Stop trying to, well, someday I, I hope, I've heard that so many, well, I, I hope to, you going to heaven? Well, I hope to. You know, I'm trying to, trying to get there. Trying to get there. Y'all ever I'm trying to get there. Listen, listen, listen to what David says here. Purify me. He's talking to God. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. We talked about what that was. He basically was calling upon the, on the blood sacrifice. 
Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. God, you, you have to do this thing. If, if this sin is ever going to be lifted from me, the weight of this, the, the guilt of this, the, the everything, is this ever going to get off me? God, you're going to have to do it because I know that I can't do it myself. And he cries out to God. God is the only one, ladies and gentlemen, who can cleanse you or me from our sins. He's the only one. Not by works, not by doing enough good, not by trying to give enough money, not by showing up for church every Sunday. I appreciate if you do that, but that, that has nothing to do with you getting into heaven. You understand? You have to fall on your face before God and say, God, if you don't, if you don't wash me, if you don't cleanse me, it's, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So those were kind of the three requirements that we looked at last week. And now I want to give you kind of the, the two results that will come about when this takes place. When you're broken over your sin, when, when, you, when you realize that God has the right to judge your sin, when you, when you realize that, that God is the only one who can cleanse you from your sin... When you get to that place in your life, now, watch what happens. Here we go. Here's the, the fourth idea, the first new one this morning. What happens is we will renew a desire for godliness. Here's what happens when you're broken over your sin. It will renew a desire for godliness in your life. Let me read it, verse 10 through 12. It will renew a desire for godliness in your life. All right. I'm going to get at least one amen before I'm going to start reading. <laughs> Listen, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew, watch this, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Do you hear what's going on in there? Do you see what he's, do you see what he's doing in this thing? God, God, I want to get back to where I was. God, I want to know you the way I knew you before. God, I want that intimacy. God, I want that connection. God, I want that closeness that I had with you earlier in my life. God, I, 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 I've lost my spiritual edge. I, I got away from it somehow. God, I, I, I know my sin. I'm broken for my sin. You've cleansed me of my sin. God, I want to come back to you. I want to be with you where, the way I was with you before. That is will be a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ and a brokenness over your sin. That's exactly what will happen in your life. You'll know this, this desire to get back to a relationship with him. Listen, I mentioned it last week. I talked about this David, and, and this was David that committed this, this deep, this, uh, this sin that he had committed in his life, and I mentioned that last week. Listen, can, can I just take a moment just to remind you of the spiritual giant that David was, how, so that you can understand how far he had fallen in his sin. I want you to understand where he had been in this connection with God because David's basically saying, God, I, I, I want to be a man after your own heart again. Because God himself is the one that had said that. David's a man after my own heart. This spiritual giant, can I just, you, you've probably read it in Sunday school or even in your adult life, you read it, but can I just remind you this morning, the spiritual giant that David was in his life. The, the scene uh, takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 17 where uh, the Philistine army is drawn up against the, the armies of Israel. And the Philistine army have, has this champion by the name of Goliath, a giant from Goth. And as I mentioned last week, all of the army of Israel, including King Saul, they're shaking in their armor. They're shaking at the presence of, of, 
this Goliath as he comes out. And listen, everything about this guy was intimidating. His stature, his size was intimidating. His, his weaponry and his armor was intimidating. His, his voice, his taunting, the very words that he spoke were intimidating. I'm sure the guy's beard was even intimidating. And look at David's response. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And then this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. (laughs) And then it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly in the opposite direction. No. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Wow. Wow. Amazing faith. Amazing man of God in this moment. That, that was David. That's who he was. That, 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 when everybody else is saying, well, oh, you can't. Huh? Oh, he's so scary. He's so, man, that's where David was. But somewhere along the way, David lost his spiritual edge. Maybe maybe David stopped reading the word of God. Remember, David was responsible for writing a significant number of the Psalms, the vast majority of the Psalms David wrote himself, including the 119th Psalm in the Bible, the longest Psalm in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. And for 176 verses, David goes on and on and on about the majesty of the Word of God and the power of the Word of God and the wisdom of the Word of God and the necessity for the Word of God. Maybe he stopped looking at the Word of God. Somewhere along the way, he lost his spiritual edge. You know, years ago, I came across this saying, maybe you've uh, seen it before, the Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Can I tell you that that is absolutely an accurate statement? I, I, I know that when some of you come to me with some issue, some struggle in your life, I, I know that I must sound like a broken record at, at times because if you come to me and, about some issue and struggling, and I, and I hope that you will, but, but if you've ever done that, you know that one of the first questions out of my mouth is how much time are you spending in the Word of God? And I know that my solutions may seem a bit simplistic uh, by some people's standards, but I know this. I know I have never known of a man or woman deeply engaged in some sin in their life who was also deeply immersed in the Word of God at the same time. And I have known plenty of men and women involved, engaged in some sinful practice in their life who had long since abandoned any meaningful time in the Word of God. Maybe David just got away from it. Maybe David stopped praying as much as he used to. 
Maybe it was some combination of, of events that occurred. But the point is, David, somewhere along the way, got distracted. He lost his spiritual edge, and the enemy was waiting to pounce on him. Now he wants to come back. Now he's broken over a sin. He said, God, I want to get back to where I was. God, I want to be restored. God, I want to know you the way I knew you before. That's what will happen when you and I own our sin, take responsibility for our sin, recognize that God can judge our sin, and only he's the one that can cleanse our sin. It renews this, this right relationship with him. I, uh, a number of years ago, my mom gave me my dad's uh, Bible that he uh, carried with him in World War II when he served in the Pacific. And uh, one of the interesting things, that when, when, I, when I got the Bible and I opened it up, uh, there was this uh, photograph uh, in there who, uh, as my mom told me, is uh, my great, great, maybe great, I don't know if there's three of those great, greats in there, great, great, great grandfather who apparently was a Methodist, according to her, was a Methodist preacher. Y'all probably can't see it, but those, those, that dude's eyes are freaky. I'm just telling you right now. Those dude's eyes are freaky. And if I, if, I could, if I could do that look right there, I could probably get some people down the aisle. That's easy. And also, inside uh, this Bible was this inscription that my dad, I assume, wrote himself. Bill Stevens belongs to this book. I like that. This book doesn't belong to Bill Stevens. Bill Stevens belongs to this book. Anyone finding either, please return to the other. Those are wise words to live by, ladies and gentlemen. Don't give up on the Word of God. Don't get away from it. Don't let something push it out of your life because you're too busy, too distracted. It's too boring. I'll tell you all a story of a man named Bob Harrington. Bob Harrington, uh, for many years, was known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street because of ministry that he started in New Orleans uh, in the 1960s, preaching on the street, Bourbon Street and streets around there, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in what is considered a very decadent, sinful place. If you've ever been on Bourbon Street, I would not recommend it. Bob Harrington started a ministry uh, there, preaching to people about the, the need for a relationship with Jesus Christ. People knew about this ministry, and, and God had used it and had some success in it, but Bob Harrington really came to national prominence when he was invited to do a revival, preach a revival service in a church in San Antonio, Texas. While he was uh, in San Antonio, Texas, uh, Bob met a couple by the name of Bob and Evelyn Linton. Now, the Lintons were not members of the church where he was doing a revival. Oh, no. The Lintons owned a burlesque club in downtown San Antonio known as the Green Gate Club. And one afternoon, Bob Harrington walked into the Green Gate Club and asked the owners if he could uh, present the gospel to the people who were gathered in that burlesque, uh, in that strip club that day. And for reasons that can only be explained by the power of God, they said yes. Bob Harrington said he stood up on the platform intentionally with all the stripper girls right behind him because he said he knew that they would have everybody's attention. I'm, I'm not sure if that qualifies as creative evangelism, but in any event, Bob Harrington stood up there and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ and told people of God's love for them and their need to repent of their sins and come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. When he finished, the owner of the Green Gate Club, the Lintons, asked if he would come and stay in their home with them for a few days. They said, you know, we've got a million-dollar home outside of San Antonio. We've never had a person come and stay in it. Would you come and stay in our home with us? 
for a few days. Now, I don't know how many, how many uh, of the upright Christian crowd would say, I'm not going to that den of iniquity bought with the flesh of young women. Get behind me. I don't know, I don't know what people would have done, but Bob uh, Harrington said, sure, I'll go stay at your house. And so he did. He spayed two or three nights with him. Bob, Lent, uh, Bob Harrington said that one morning after breakfast, sitting around a coffee table, uh, he said to Bob and Evelyn Linton, he says, hey, don't you think it's time that you guys gave your life to Jesus Christ? He said they looked at each other and then they looked at him and they, and they said, well, yeah, we're, we want to. We've been waiting for you to tell us how to do it. <laughs> and Bob and Evelyn Linton prayed to receive Christ as our Savior. And, and Bob Harrington said as soon as, the, as soon as they finished the prayer, inviting Christ, trusting him as their Lord and Savior, asking him to forgive them of their sins, and, 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 all, and invited Christ in, as soon as they, they finished that prayer, Bob Linton got up and he went to use the uh, telephone. And Bob Harrington said he thought that was strange. He said, what are you doing? He said, I've got to make a phone call. And Bob Harrington, or uh, sorry, uh, uh, Ed Linton got up. Ed? That's Bob Linton. Okay, right, yeah. Somebody. The guy. Mr. Linton, thank you, got up and made a phone call. He called us uh, uh, advertising agency, a sign agency. And that night, that night, over the Green Gate Club was hung a sign that said, close forever, see in church. And as you can imagine, Bob Harrington, because of that miraculous transformation, Bob Harrington shot up into national prominence. Every church in America basically wanted the the chaplain of Bourbon Street to come and preach in their church. And he had a tremendous ministry. Uh, he, he, number one best-selling books were written about him, and, and uh, his sermons were put on records, and those records went gold, certified gold. And uh, he had this wonderful beautiful wife and, and two beautiful daughters, and he, he had this fantastic ministry. And it all came crashing down one day when Bob Harrington, as he puts it, when the devil threw me a pass, and I caught it. And Bob Harrington dove headfirst deep into sin. He left his wife over for another woman, actually multiple other women. He engaged in a life of of debauchery and sin, the, the, the very life that he'd been preaching so hard against on Bourbon Street, Bob Harrington dove headfirst into it for years and years and years. Like David, Bob Harrington had been a spiritual giant, and like David, somewhere along the way, he lost his spiritual edge. And listen to me, the enemy was ready to pounce, as he always is. Bob Harrington lost his family, and Bob Harrington lost his ministry, and Bob Harrington lost all kinds of stuff. But let me tell you what Bob Harrington never lost. He never lost the love of God. Because just like David, God kept pursuing Bob Harrington. And one night, while living in a motel room, after being attacked, robbed, beaten half to death, lying on a motel room floor, Bob Harrington was broken over a sin. And he cried out to God and asked God to forgive him and to to restore to him the joy of his salvation, this relationship. That's what has to happen in our lives. Listen, can I say this to you and y'all be okay with it? I can identify with David's life. I can identify with Bob Harrington's life. Oh, I'm not necessarily talking about the sexual sin or that sort of thing, although I know what it is to be tempted. And I know we're talking about forgiveness in the context of David's sin. But listen to me, anything in my life that attracts me or distracts me from my walk with the Lord is, is something that, I, that doesn't belong there and I need to be able to cry out. As David cried out, I need to come to that place where I say, God created me a clean heart, 
Oh God, do this to me. No more excuses, no more putting it off. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I need to come to that place in my life. When I let anything come into my life that is, that is going to pull me away, going to pull me off of my spiritual edge. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Fortunately, for David, for Bob Harrington, and for you and me, God is a pursuing God. He does not give up on us. He does not walk away from it. God is a pursuing God. And maybe even in your life now, perhaps even in your life today, he's pursuing you. I don't know where you are in your life. I I don't know what's going on in your life. Uh, You do. And as I've said last week, and as Bob Harrington would testify, that it can go on for years and years. Oftentimes, under the radar, without a lot of people knowing. When you own your sin, you do those other things, See those other requirements that we talked about? There comes this place where there's this renewed passion and pursuit of God and the holiness of God to bring bring that back into my life. Okay, when that happens, let me give you one more result that comes about. When I restore, when I I know I've received God's forgiveness, when I understand I'm in right relationship with Him. Listen, can I say this based on what David said? I I understand theologically that that if I'm in the family of God and I'm adopted into the family of God, I understand that, that God is not going to banish me. I understand that he's not going to take his spirit away from me. I know theologically that's correct, but, but the, the sheer weight of my sin should make me feel like David felt. Oh, God, restore to me what I had. God, bring me back to where I was. God, I want to be a man after your own heart again. A man or woman after your own heart again. And when that happens, there's one more result restoration will produce declaration in our lives. You believe me? Verse 13, look what he says. Then, when that takes place, when you've restored me, when I'm back in this right relationship, when I know that I'm where I need to be, when I'm, when I'm pursuing you and I'm hotly pursuing you because you've pursued me, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation, and then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. That's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. When you realize what God has done for you, how he's brought you back into this right relationship, it just results in this desire to to just, I, I just want to tell people what God has done in my life. I just want to declare it. And listen, it's not a, it's, David's not playing let's make a deal with God. He's not saying, well, God, if you'll forgive me, I'll go tell other people about, about, about what you've done. God, God if, you, if you'll wash me clean, then, then I'll, I'll do it. No, no, there's, there's none of that. David's made that clear that he knows God has to do this thing. But there is this desire, God, I, I, I just, I just want to shout it. I just want people to know how you could take a wretched sinner like me and restore me into, into right fellowship with you. God, I, I, I want the world to know about it. That's a result of genuine brokenness over your sin, you come to this place where you can't not talk about what God has done for you. Years ago, years ago, it was another church I was part of. I went on a, a visitation team, a team that went and visited a lady in her home, myself and a couple of other people. And I, I don't remember if she had visited the church or if someone had given us her name or, or whether it was even just a cold call, just knocked 
on her door. I can't, I can't remember the, the circumstance, but, but we knocked on her door. The lady was very cordial, very inviting, asked us to come in. We told her who we were, where we were from, the church we were from, and she invited us to come in. We sat down, just began to get to know her in dialogue and talk with her. But as the conversation began to move in more of a spiritual direction, uh, I, I could tell a, an abrupt change began to take place in, in her demeanor. She became very stiff, very, her, her, her facial features began to change, and, and she became very offended. That's what she said. She said, she said I believe that, that religion is a very personal matter, and I am offended that you would come in here and try and share your faith with me. And I said to her, I said, ma'am, it certainly is not our intention to offend you in, in any way. We certainly won't stay in your home any longer. It wasn't our, our intention to offend you. And I said this to her. I said, but Jesus Christ has changed our lives. We, we have to talk about him. We have to talk about him. And that's what I'm saying happens to us when we come to this place of realization to realize, you know what? Forgiveness is not mission impossible. God can forgive me. All those people, if they knew, or this, oh, if they, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God knows. And God says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And when that happens, when we're broken, and we realize that, that he's restored us and only he can cleanse us, when that happens, it causes us to declare, it causes us, it'll cause us to do, as Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'll want to do this. We, you know, we have a paraphrase of Acts 1.8 here at Cross Culture Church. Basically, it just looks like this. Go tell people about me here, there, and everywhere. That's what happens when you, when you realize, man, when I think of where I was, when I, when I think of how far I was from God and what God did for me, by sending his son to sacrifice on the cross on my behalf, by drawing me back to him, by never giving up on me, by pursuing me when I was running from him as hard as I could, and I can relate to that, by, by pursuing me when I was running from him as hard as I could, God kept pursuing because that's what he does. And he kept drawing, and he kept bringing me back to this place where I said, would say, God, God, restore to me the joy that I had when I came in a relationship with you. Forgiveness, receiving God's forgiveness, is not, is not mission impossible. As we heard last week and today, God wants to forgive us. He wants us to know the joy of a right relationship with Him. David knew that repentance alone wasn't enough. David needed to get back to where he was with God before he let sin take over his life. And you know, the same is true for us today. When we let sin in, we have to repent of it and move away from it. But we also need to move toward God. We need to allow God to restore our fellowship with Him. And like David, when He does, we need to be ready to declare to all of those around us what God has done for us and what He will do for all who turn to Him. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.